Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? American democracy is under attack. The Republican Party is in its death throes. They're facing their very extinction. And what will they do to survive? To cling to the power slipping through their grubby little fingers? Whatever it takes. Lie, cheat, steal, dismantle our democracy itself. The American electorate is changing and the Republican Party refuses to change along with it. Instead, what they're trying to do is to stop those changes from happening all together. They're trying to force the American people to be something we are not. They're trying to force us to go backwards in time and not forward. They're trying to strip us of the very rights which make this country so special. Rights far too long. Too many people didn't have. Rights they had to fight for. Rights they died for. Rights we're still working towards. Rights for the most marginalized among us. Because as it turns out, the more of us there are and the more diversified and educated we are, the more Republicans lose. And they know that, so they cheat. But we aren't going to let them. The will of the American people is diverse and multifaceted. It's shaped by a wide range of beliefs, values, and perspectives. It encompasses a desire for freedom, democracy, equality, and individual rights. The will of the American people is strong and historically resilient. And we don't abide cheating. Let the special election in Ohio be both a lesson and a reminder for the Republican Party. We won't give up our rights without a fight. What Ohio showed us this week is that it doesn't matter if there's a D or an R or an I next to your name. When it comes to protecting our democracy, this is not a partisan issue. It's an American one. Democracy is alive and kicking. And it's standing up and pushing back against Republican attacks. And we have only just begun to fight. My guest this week is comedian Steve Hofstetter. 
He truly, truly does use his powers for good. Co-host of the podcast, Judgy Two Shoes, with his fiance, Savannah Martin. Steve just released a children's book called Grape Expectations. Awesome name. It's set in a world where a fruit's profession is determined by what fruit they are. And it's a story of a young grape who decides to be, he wants to be a dancer. The book teaches that how you were born does not determine who you are. What a great message, <laughs> I love it. He's incredibly funny. He's smart as hell. He's passionate about protecting our rights and freedoms. And he's just a really, really good guy. I loved this conversation. It's rare when you find someone who can both crack you up and make you think about really big issues at the same time. But that's Steve. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast. Uh, my guest on this episode today is Steve Hofstetter. Welcome to my podcast, Steve. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm always so excited to talk to you. Kind of feels like visiting with an old friend every time I get to see you and get to talk to you, but it's also usually very, very entertaining. <laughs> but um, before we get into all of the things about you that I think are personally amazing, which is which is absolutely 100% true, not just as a comedian, but also as a human being, we're not going to go there yet because I tend to get a little misty, so I'm not going to do that right now. So we're just going to kick things off right out of the gate before anybody stops listening. <laughs> okay, ready? All right, this is a serious question I honestly want to know from your perspective because I think about it a lot and that's really sad and scary, but what the fuck is wrong with Ron DeSantis? Like, he's fingering pudding cups? Is that like in the corner of the room? Like, what is wrong with him? I think that's the most human thing he's done. <laughs> um, of all of the doesn't know how to stand, doesn't know how to walk, uh, doesn't know how to walk anything back. No. Uh, I think I think probably fingering a pudding cup is is probably the most relatable he's ever been because at least there are some twelve year old boys who are like, yeah, I tried that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point because, like you said, he doesn't know how to stand. He doesn't know how to laugh. Like his though, all of those viral gifs of him reacting to something yeah. not even funny and just looking completely not human. But but he's also he's. He's clearly cut from the narcissistic cloth, the same as Trump, but but it's more than that. Like he has these like vendettas against Disney and his whole thing against woke. It's like he's obsessed. He's well, and he's not just obsessed, but he also like he's cost Florida so much money. Like the fact that it's now difficult to get home insurance in Florida. Because it is, uh, I think it costs three times the national average, if I if I recall seeing the number. <laughs> um, it's it's at the point now where I've never seen a campaign implode this much. Like there was the whole, uh, you know, Howard Dean was excited once and yeah. people got upset at him, but Ron DeSantis was the unquestioned front runner of the Republican Party, and if he had disappeared from public life, if no one had heard from him in eight months, it would have been better than what he's done. <laughs> like if he if he had come out and just been, I mean, if he had come out, I, I think that Republicans would be less frustrated with his behavior. 
Um, he is. It, it's fun, honestly. It's fun to see. Partially because I don't live in Florida. I know my sister does, and I feel bad for her. But I, I just mean watching him go from "Oh no, this guy might win the election" to "I don't think he's going to be reelected for governor when he runs again." Like he has really shown us his ass, and it is not pretty. Yeah, and he's shown us his white boots too. But like he, yeah. it is. It's sad that it's comical. Which, by the way, similar shade to his ass. I'm assuming. <laughs> Probably his very slimmed down by Ozempic ass at this mm-hmm. point. But but like it's it's almost as if somebody handed him a play by play of what not to do, and he was like, oh okay. Was a checklist. This is a checklist. It's like no 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 yeah. no no. It's not a checklist. He traveled the world. Do you remember they traveled to like Asia and England, and that was in weird and embarrassing before he even announced then he announces via twitter space r.i.p twitter although i also call it that that's how he announces his campaign he's decided against every single person's advice to run to the right of donald trump which is like in the same state by the way (laughs) and refuses to go back at him when he gets manhandled essentially by everyone in trump's orbit it's like the hell is he doing he's losing is what he's doing he's losing very very big and i just because of the state of the republican party i think trump's gonna come out the nominee anyway regardless of what happens even if he's in prison at the time but the the guy that had a chance to beat him a year ago was ron DeSantis, and now i I mean it is Of all, like, I know not to go up against Disney. Like, as someone who has worked for that company, I know not to go up against Disney. Like, as someone who is currently on strike against that company, (laughs) I know not to go up against Disney. And Ron DeSantis was like, I know what I'll do. I will publicly embarrass myself. Because not only did Disney, Disney has a ton of super, super high-priced lawyers, but they're bored. Like, they don't have much to do. And then suddenly they get challenged and they're like, all right, <laughs> let's go. Right. It's like, honestly, of all the companies in all the world, it's, it's like, I'm going to go after those adorable Dalmatians because I'm pretty yeah. sure that that's, that's, that's my path to victory. And it's not, again, it's not just like he's he decided to go after them. It's very personal because they had the audacity to disagree with him publicly about the whole don't say gay thing. And because yeah. he's, I call him Lord Farquaad of Florida, he cannot be questioned like that, especially publicly. He's doing it with Kamala Harris right now because she had the audacity to be offended by the upside of slavery stuff. Like, yeah. he doesn't- <laughs> And they, they didn't even go after him on that. They slightly disagreed. Yeah. They, in the wussiest, most non-confrontational way possible, they were just like, you know, g- gay people are a thing, I think, <laughs> right? And then DeSantis was like, I'm taking this personally. Um, Yeah, the upside of slavery thing is so disgusting. It's so deliriously disgusting. And I mean, I'm I'm not glad he thinks that, but I'm awfully glad he said it because we need to know who the people are who think that. We need to know who the bad guys are. And it used to be you weren't sure. And now... You know, demons show thyself. Now we know. Yeah. And 
sometimes I'm actually, I'm, I'm even surprised at this point that anything they do or say can shock me, that it still has the capacity to shock me because yeah. I do think there's a distinction between being shocked by what they do and being surprised by what they do. And I, I don't know if that comment, if all of that's not really a comment specifically, but that sort of curriculum sort of approach, if it shocked and surprised me, because I, it's just like, what are we here? How did we get the fuck here? Well, we've, I think we've always been here. I think, I mean, this is partly it's racism's death rattle. When, you know, when something's dying, it tends to get louder before it dies. Um, but also anyone, I gotta do the exact math now because, you know, it's it's been a couple of years since I've seen the statistic, but I think it's anyone over 35 was born closer. You know that, that iconic picture of the uh, white women yelling during a school integration? Yes. Anyone who was born, who was 35 or older, was born closer to that moment than they were to today. And so it is, it seems like a long time ago, but it's not. Like I remember growing, so I'm 43, and I remember growing up in like when we're learning, the first time I started learning about Vietnam, when I was, you know, in probably in like fourth or fifth grade. Like the first time it starts showing up in the in the history books when things aren't great anymore, when you're not just learning about how good of friends we were with the with the natives and they weren't called natives. Um, it's, you know, the first time you start to get any sort of accurate history. And I remember growing up, so this would have been like 87, 88, something like that, and thinking how ancient history that was. And that was a little over 15 years earlier. Mm. So... It seems like a long time ago to us, but it's it really isn't. It re the Civil Rights Act was 1964. I was born in 79. So that was 15 years before I was born. It's not as far away as we think it is. Yeah, that's true. And it is, it is an interesting perspective that I think is lost on us a lot of the time. And I saw an interesting meme about the photo you were just mentioning, and maybe you've seen it, but so it's all these yellow arrows pointing to the white women um, who are yelling uh, at the black girl. And it says, you know, these women are trying to erase what they did to that girl. You know, these girls are trying to erase what they did to that girl. And that is kind of what we're looking at in terms of all of this. Like, I'm sure you've heard of PragerU, which is this- Yeah online, not accredited, crazy organization that's like associated with all of the worst players. And they're basically setting the curriculum for the state of Florida. And they are 1000% whitewashing uh, history for all of those Floridian students. Yeah. Hiring, hiring PragerU to, to write your history book is, I mean, th that's like hiring Demolition Derby to write your road safety laws. Like it's just not... <laughs> It's the opposite of what they do. Yeah. And the uh, the women in that picture are still alive. The women in that picture are in their 70s. Yeah. And they're still alive and they're still voting. And maybe some of them grew up and thought, well, I was wrong. And I didn't know any better. And that's absolutely possible. And then some of them grew up and pretended that everything was okay. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I, I think one of the most eye-opening moments for me, historically, was um, I went to South Africa. And we were... Uh, you know, I, I was I was lucky enough to be you know shown around by someone who was fairly connected. So they had like someone cooking for us, and they had like a driver, and these were like very nice folks. We talked to them a lot. They were great. And they were you know probably you know white folks in their fifties, I would guess. You know, uh, the driver was early fifties, and the and the chef was late fifties. And the, the way and they seemed they both seemed progressive, and the way they talked about apartheid. The way they just, well, you know, there was nothing you could really do. You know, they they kind of brushed it aside because what they weren't able to do was face the demons of this was partly my fault. I stood there and did nothing while atrocities were all around me. And I just let it happen and I didn't protest and I didn't complain. I just accepted it as part of life that it was okay to treat human beings this way. And that is a survival mechanism because – and that's where cognitive dissonance comes in because if you don't admit that you were part of the problem, then you can still see yourself as a good person. Yeah. And I don't – I definitely don't think that restricting, you know, future generations of kids from learning about the truth of our own history um, would would benefit them. Like, I mean, I I just – it's just, it's, it's really sad and, and it's obviously really scary. And it's obviously also this one of those hair on fire manufactured crisis nonsense that, you know, children would learn about accurate history regarding slavery and somehow think that they were personally responsible, that their whiteness is like something that they should be ashamed of when that's not at all what any of us took from whatever versions of that history we got. Well, yeah, especially because I want to like sit down people like, you know, Ron DeSantis and say, you're clearly not ashamed of your whiteness. Right. And you learned what slavery was. In fact, I think it, I think it made you prouder. Like, I, I think for someone like you, it made you prouder. But the reality of this is that it's the Streisand effect. 300 people in this country knew what CRT was before a few years ago. Now, 300 million do. So the more they protest about something, the more they complain about something, the more it will come into the fold. And the one thing that worries me is, have we already lost the courts? If we've already lost the courts, then none of this matters. But if the courts are still staffed for the most part by honest people, by fair people, 
even if they have their own biases and their own agendas, if the courts still function, then we're going to be fine. Yeah, and and that is something that I look to as a source of, um, I guess the word could be hope. I mean, I, I, I read a book by Preparara a long time ago, like when we were really in the thick of it with Trump called Doing Justice. And in it, he talks a lot about believing the justice will ultimately prevail and believing that the systems in place are actually strong enough to withstand the, the attack that is sort of relentless upon them right now. And, and, and I feel like we've seen, particularly with drag bans and uh, you know, a lot of states where the courts have actually struck them down, you know, shockingly and surprisingly in red states where the courts yeah. like, actually, y'all, this is a overreach. So we're just going to go ahead and say, no, you can't do this. We can make it about strippers, but let's not, you know, do this whole drag thing. So for me anyway, and it is a daily practice because we also have judges in Florida, for instance, named Eileen Cannon, who can definitely shake that idea that justice does prevail and find a way. Yeah, um, I... I truly hope so. I mean, it's the optimist in me, but I, I think Trump is going to be the litmus test. Mm. I think if he survives this with no issues, then I, I don't know what to believe anymore. But if he gets if if he gets convicted and sentenced to anything, it shows that we still have our justice system and it's and we're going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, I was going to get to Trump later in the conversation, but we can sort of tackle it a little bit now um, on that subject, because um, what was very sort of encouraging for me was the verdict in the Eugene Carroll case, because um, that was a jury where there was one juror who said he got his primary news, his only news from Tim Pool. And if you don't know who Tim Pool is, I'm not plugging Tim Pool, but I am not a Tim Pool fan. He is, I don't even know how I would describe him, but he is certainly not <laughs> on the progressive side of the spectrum. I, I'd say cesspool. Yeah. Be <laughs> My best description of him. Exactly. But this juror was like, look, I, you know, I dig Trump. I, I'm not going to lie, but he voted to find Trump liable in that case. And and by the way, big victory, another victory for Eugene Carroll today, because the court dismissed Trump's countersuit, which is just like just another loss for him. But that, you know, that case, it did. They came to that verdict in less than like over a lunch or something. And, and, and it was like, OK, I can breathe a little bit. I can feel more rest assured that at the end of the day, if the evidence is, you know, what we assume it is in most of these cases, that that, that justice will prevail. But um, we, it does remain to be seen because these other indictments with Trump are, are obviously of a level exponentially higher than that Eugene Carroll case. Yeah. And, and I'm also curious, I'm very curious to see what will happen in the elections in 24. Because 2022, by all historical standards, should have been a bloodbath in favor of the Republicans. And it was about even. And while it wasn't, you know, a, a blue wave or whatever, you know, dumb words they want to describe it, in the face of that, it was. The idea that a midterm election during a down economy, um, directly after a horrible event and the retaining or the incumbent party didn't lose a lot of seats. That's tremendous. And especially with all the gerrymandering, if, if, you know, the four maps that should have been thrown out were 
then the Democrats would have retained control of the House also. And so we know that there are some that are, you know, going to flip blue just by the nature of who's running against who. And so I'm very curious what's going to happen. And also a decent amount of red Senate seats are up again in 2024. And so I'm that's that's going to be the you know, it, it is possible to end up with a supermajority. I don't know if it'll happen, but that we'll see. Yeah, I think 2022, one of the lessons that I took away from it, which is funny because on all these conversations I have with people, depending on where they are in terms of that's a lot of former Republicans I talk to. I don't know why it shakes out like that. It just does. Um, but a lot of them think less optimistically about 2024. But I looked at 2022 as an indicator of the fact that at the end of the day, the bulk of Americans are like, no, I don't want the chaos. I am. I don't give a shit about all of this crazy. I don't want Benghazi Palooza on gas stoves 24-7. I don't want to see Hunter's dick pics on a you know, House committee hearing. Like, I actually want my elected officials to do something for me, for my family, for my kids. And and also that constant drumbeat of like, I was going to get to this too, but like this culture war stuff. I mean, I understand that it definitely like sparks up that part of the the party that, you know, that rabid base, like the J6ers, it definitely gets them motivated to go shoot the Bud Light cans I just spent $100 on and stuff. But <laughs> which, I mean, it's like the whole Barbie movie thing. I mean, Ben Shapiro burning Barbies. Like, so it's, I think at the end, especially of the- when they were from his own personal collection. <laughs> clearly, the movie meant a lot to him. <laughs> My favorite two things is that he, go, he went to the movie dressed as basically Ken. Yes. Right? And yeah, he was like, cosplaying. Right? And then if you watch the dumb video, you realize he misses the can. You go in the can and they had to like cut it and re like whatever they had to do just for that fucker to get the damn Barbie in the fire. It's like, well, on. because when you burn a bunch of Barbie dolls, it's one of two things. You went out and bought them to burn them or you owned them. One of those two things. Um, my favorite thing that Ben Shapiro ever did was when he bought that one piece of wood from Home Depot. Like, you know he walked in was like, one wood, please. <laughs> like, the piece of wood that he bought, well, first of all, in a oh, in a plastic shopping bag. I mean, hilarious. But then also, that wasn't even big enough to build a small shelf out of. Like, that was a small, that was a very small board. And it was just such an indictment of the idea of like, well, I know what traditional masculinity is. One wood, please. I would like a wood. <laughs> if I could have a wood. Yeah. Make sure and go ahead and put that in a bag, please, because I'd like to carry my wood bag. You know what? Actually, now it's coming together. Maybe he used his one wood to build a Barbie shelf. <laughs> like maybe. Oh, yeah. That's where he keeps his Barbie dolls. It's very possible. It's not the I... sacrificial Barbie. That one had to go. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hobby builder. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's something that I got from my dad and, you know, I've I've built a bunch of the furniture in my house and I'm not good at it. Like as as like building goes, I'm not very good at it. But here's what I do know. A, if you want to buy wood for anything, you don't go to Home Depot. Home Depot is where you go when you either have no other choice near you, which he he doesn't, um, or 
you don't give a shit about the results of the project because all the wood is warped. So you go to a lumber yard, but he's never heard of that because for all of his bluster about what makes a real man and I'm, I'm alpha, it's like, no, you're, you're a failed screenwriter. And that's why you hate Barbie because Barbie made a million or, or a billion dollars. Yep. And his hatred for Barbie has nothing to do with the message of the movie, most of which he couldn't even understand. His hatred for Barbie comes from the fact that Mattel finally made a very successful movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it's funny because that uh, that failed screenwriter thing, I'm, I don't know if you saw it. Because I know we're going to get to the quick Twitter conversation, but there was a tweet and I can't remember his name. He's one of the guys from like the Young Turks. Is that what they're called? The That I don't watch it or listen to it, but I think it's called that. But um, The Good he, Liars or the Young Turks? The Young Turks. Okay. Like, they're like a progressive leaning group, right? I think is that? Or my yeah, yeah, yeah. With, um, yeah. My brain is mashing together like the, the young, fine young cannibals and the young Turks in my head at the same time. Fine young Turks would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so one it's, of the guys. Saying she drives me crazy, but it's about Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or she is but crazy. Woo, yeah. Woo. Yeah. So one of those guys tweeted at Ben about the Barbie movies. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're so outraged about. It's really just because you're a failed screenwriter. And Ben replied or quote tweeted that and said, you know, let me try and make this, uh, let me put this in small language or something like that. And then I successfully trolled him by saying, you don't have to differentiate that you're speaking in small language. Small is your whole brand. And I was like, I felt like I had scored a blow with that one. But speaking of blow, um, <laughs> Speaking of blow. Oh, so Don, are we talking about Don Jr. now? Or? Not, no, that would have been a perfect pivot point, but we are not going to pivot to, to, I don't, we're not going to talk about Don Jr., that chinless nepotistic twat, but yeah. Anyway, no, we're going to, we're going to, another twat. We're going to pivot to Twitter a little bit because you're not on Twitter anymore, right? So no. it's not even, I, I know it's not called Twitter anymore. I'm just, I, I'm an old person and we were reluctant to change. So, so well, but, but also I live in Pittsburgh and we still call it Heinz field here. You know, okay. like it's, it's, it's difficult to change the name of something that you're so used to. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I mean, I think X is the perfect name for it because, uh, Elon Musk is, uh, X popular. Elon Musk is X successful. Elon Musk is X rich. Like X, I think, marks the spot pretty well. <laughs> it's really it's funny that you say that because I hadn't even thought of that. But it's just like, the, I mean, the obviousness of the new Coke moment in terms of like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to take this incredibly recognizable brand that has decades of, of and recognizability and all of the branding surrounding it. And you're just going to be like, no, I want a big letter. I just want everything to look like a porn site. <laughs> yeah, it is. Everything that Elon Musk does is based on his impression of what was cool in like the late 90s, early 2000s, like which for him was during his goth phase. But it is like if you think about it, it's like the extreme Mountain Dew, like it's that <laughs> yeah. kind of, you know, X Games. Ah! It's that it's the misogyny of the time. You know, it's the racism of the time. Like, that's what he thinks is cool. It's it's even right down to the uh, to the poorly programmed BBS. Like, that's what he's turning Twitter into. Oh he basically God. he's taking Twitter and making it a shitty news group. Yeah, a shitty, hateful news group. That's part of yeah. the reason you left. Right. Was because it was literally I used to not. I used to be like, I don't call it a hellscape and a cesspool because it's fine. There's no hate. And then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God. Well, at first. You know, at first, I, my take was you don't seed ground. You know, if everyone progressive leaves Twitter, 
then all of a sudden that amplifies the voice of people on the right. In fact, it's the same as people going, oh, I don't like either candidate. I'm just not going to vote. Well, mathematically, that gives your vote to the person you were least likely to vote for. Um, because instead of a plus one for the other guy, it becomes the negative one. And that's just math. And so originally I was like, I'm staying put and I'm fighting. And then as I noticed that Twitter doesn't have the impact it used to have, seeding worthless ground doesn't matter. I'll, I'll let someone control the desert. No one's going there. And when, you know, I, I started kind of weaning myself off it a little bit because for I think 14, 15 years, it was a several times a day habit for me. It was it was where I got a lot of news. It was where I made a lot of friends, where we met. Mm -hmm. It's where I, you know, I, I certainly increased my career because of it. And it was a focus. And then when I got off of it, my career didn't hurt at all. And my mental health went up. And there was a time where I was like, eh, let me dip my toe back in the water just to, you know, troll a couple fascists. That would be, I could still do that. Mm -hmm. And then I got a very obvious, like, horrifically anti-Semitic, homophobic um, death threat, like verifiable death threat. And, you know, look, which is not out of the ordinary online. But what is out of the ordinary is that no longer violating terms of service. And at that point, I was just like, well, then what the hell's the point? Like, I'm not on Getter arguing with people. I'm not on Truth Social arguing with people. So why am I going to go on what is just a different version of that? So why am I going to go on Xer or whatever the hell he's going to call it? And so now um, I do threads sometimes. I, you know, I've mainly concentrated on Facebook. I hate that that asshole has made me root for Mark Zuckerberg. Right, that's how, how bad Elon is. <laughs> yeah, how could he possibly make me root for Mark Zuckerberg? Um, you know, but... As it turns out, you know, no matter who they are, when it comes to choosing a Jew over a Nazi, I'll take the Jewish guy every time. Yeah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Which reminds me, well, two things I want to just touch on because uh, I'm very sentimental in a lot of ways and I still had so much nostalgia for what Twitter meant to me at a time in my life that was incredibly volatile and 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 obviously very like transformative and 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 one of the things about Twitter at that time 
which changed my life in many ways was meeting you. And uh, honestly to God, that's true. And anybody, I swear to God, that's true because I was introduced to you through Jay Black, who's an amazing, Jay Black is funny, amazing comedian that Steve knows very, very well. But Jay was like, hey, you're kind of funny. Would you be interested in coming in in this like DM room full of comedians? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I am not <laughs> like, I am, I know I can make a joke, but I'm not a comedian. There's no way I'm, I'm worthy of this. No, please, no, it's fine. I can't. And then I was in there somehow and you were like, hey, it was your group. You were just like instantly supportive and friendly and encouraging. And and you became one of the first truly like supportive people in my life in this other way, like trying to transition from my sort of old life, being a suburban mom who was lost and had no voice and didn't believe she was funny anymore to sort of the road, the path that I've taken since, which a lot of people will still argue I'm not funny, but I, I, I digress. But like you, so that's the nostalgia for me because I'm talking to you now and we're sort of like RIPing over the loss of, not RIPing really, but you know what I mean? But it's like Twitter's gone and essentially or destroyed. But it meeting you on there and being on there at all really changed my life. But you're you're I mean, I could go on and on about this, but you're just an incredibly supportive human being. And I just will want to thank you for that. But yeah, so it's hard to let go of Twitter, I think, for me, because of a lot of that. Well, I, I appreciate you saying so. And you know, that that DM room was my favorite place on the internet. There were so many amazing people there and nobody big timed anybody. You know, there were people there who had well over a million followers and there were people there who had a thousand, but also had a mantle full of Emmys. You know, it was a really interesting collection of people. And I, I made a bunch of friends through it and it was wonderful. And, you know, and, and I appreciate you saying so about me, but it was just supportive in general. And my favorite thing about it is that no one got offended because they all knew that we meant well. And there's the thing that drives me insane about progressive circles on the internet is that it is an offended contest. There are so many like email groups and DM rooms and text chains and stuff that I've had to leave because someone will take someone's words out of context when you know damn well what they meant and they will act offended so that they could be the quote unquote better person. And that is why if it weren't for that, if you take that out of the left, we'd have 75% of the offices in America. Mm -hmm. But the stupid circular firing squad, that horrific infighting that we have drives me insane and I can't stand it anymore. And I, look, I miss it a lot too. I missed the fact that, you know, that room had people that, you know, I, I grew up watching mm -hmm. and it also had people who were just, you know, good friends of mine already from the real world before then. And it was just such a fun place to be. And that's, I think, what people miss the most about Twitter is that we did make a lot of connections and we did make a lot of friendships. And yeah, there were trolls, but at the same time, like so many great people and, you know, that that will be missed, but we'll find it elsewhere. And whether it's threads or whether it's, you know, something in the future, it'll be there. Yeah, I definitely think that that is one of the things that is that made it special. I'll 
I'll always, I mean, I don't have that at all anymore, but I think that's also what's missing from all of the this myriad of apps and platforms that are trying to be the next it. They don't have that. And I mean, it's like, again, trying to recreate Coca-Cola sometimes. I mean, not that I'm, you know, necessarily equating it to Coca-Cola, but still it's, you know, you can't really just snap a finger and that intangible thing just pops up. But you were very wise, yeah. way ahead of your time. Um, Thank you. And I'm not fangirling too much, but like you were early. You were like, you need to diversify. Don't put all your eggs in the Twitter basket. You know what I mean? There's a big wide world out there and there's audiences all over the place. Like really, you were really smart and savvy in that way. And obviously that turned out to be pretty good advice. Um, as well, we back. and I had no idea that, you know, the Twitter would go away, but I, I learned that real early because my, my space was enormous. Of the, you know, when MySpace converted all the comedians to comedy profiles and then they had like a top 100, um, of the top 100, I had like 70 of them because I had different MySpace profiles for different regions, uh, you know, different basically city-based um, just because I know that people associate, uh, they want to associate with something local. And also because I didn't want to bug people in San Francisco about a show in Omaha. And so I had divided up, which was a perfect strategy until they forced me to turn all those into comedy profiles. And the comedy world got very mad at me because I was most of the top hundred. Um, so, you know, I learned that early from MySpace. I mean, I learned that again from Facebook because I had the record at one point for Facebook friends because before there were pages when it was only profiles. Um, you know, now there's a limit of 5,000, but I had 200,000. That limit happened partially because of me. Um, it, it, I like to think that it happened more because of the imitators, because I was the first to bulk friend on Facebook and I was doing it as like, Hey, I'm a comic. I think this is funny. It is also a social experiment. It's good promotion. And then other people were like, Hey, let's sell ringtones and poker websites. And so when they started doing it and they flooded the market, you know, that's when Facebook kind of put the kibosh on. And I used to, this was back in the day where you could do a broadcast announcement to all of your followers instead of just like 5% of them in the algorithm. And so suddenly losing that overnight, you know, took all that away from me. Mm -hmm. And so learning to not put all the eggs in one basket was something that happened to me pretty early on uh, digitally. And yeah, you can concentrate on what you're best at. But, you know, when I was big on YouTube and I started to see my ticket numbers dwindling a little bit. And I was like, oh, that's because YouTube's not as popular anymore. So I need to start building on other things. And so I built up my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram and, you know, TikTok for a little bit. But now, I, I mean, I don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, but you have to look at where people are and they're never going to stay in one place. Yeah. And you're never going to have the same audience on all of them. That is definitely the yeah. truth too. Yeah. And just uh, back to Facebook for a minute, because I saw a bit you posted um, about Elon and uh, <laughs> uh, Zuck getting into the cage match fight yeah. and who would win. Elon, by the way, posted something about uh, having a surgery or something today to try and get out of it. But so who would yeah, win? Yeah, the problem is he hurt his neck when he put his head up his ass. <laughs> he's got to he's got to get surgery on that. He's not Joe Rogan. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Rogan's much better at that. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Um, okay, so who wins that if there ever was a cage? I mean, how ridiculous is that anyway? But well, like, like stupid. If there if there actually was, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I think I think Elon is just a, a rich loser. Um Mark Zuckerberg like is a hobby fighter. Right. 
And, you know, for instance, like, look, I don't like anything about Jake Paul. I think he is a terrible human being. I think he has done a litany of horrific things. But I can also look and go, yeah, he can fight. And because he's trained. And the idea, there is nothing more, you know, I made fun of the, with Ben Shapiro, the idea of alpha. There is nothing less alpha than assuming you're alpha. Mm. There is nothing like wolves don't go around. First of all, the whole alpha thing is a bit of a myth, mm. but wolves don't go around going, I'm the one. Like, <laughs> no, they follow because everyone's like, that's the one, that's the one. And so Elon, it, it's the same as these, these guys who can't hit a paint can on a fence, but think they can, you know, fire a sniper shot three miles away mm -hmm. like it's that it's elon musk thinks that he can win a cage match against someone who's actually trained when he's done nothing to do it because he just assumes oh i'll swallow enough bull semen or whatever the hell making <laughs> and he's just i i frankly i want to see it happen yeah yeah i mean i do and i don't at the same time having seen that photo of elon being hosed off on the boat that he um, is still very sensitive about. But um, yeah, it's like, they're just so also awful. Why do we have to be? And Andrew Tate is one of those too, like that whole alpha bullshit crap. He, what, yeah. he got his ass owned by a, a teenager. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, okay, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna ask you one more question, but I, I, we're gonna have to skip it. It was about Waffle House, which is a whole other thing. So, um, since we've had the meat of the conversation now, that's what I call it, the meat. Thank you for joining me for the meat part of the conversation. By the and way, I, just to quickly answer the Waffle House question, I know you haven't <laughs> asked it, but scattered, smothered, and covered. Go ahead. Okay, that wasn't gonna be it because I, I was gonna confess that I, I've been to a Waffle House and I would take a Jersey Diner any day of the week over a Waffle House, but that's. As would I, but as much as I've toured through the South, you, you got to eventually learn your hash brown order. <laughs> there you go. I see. I wouldn't have even known. I was like, I, I thought they only had grits and waffles, but, um, and I don't understand grits, but that's another conversation for another day because I just don't understand grits. But okay. So the, after we have the bulk of the conversation, I like to, to finish up with a rapid fire round of random questions. Sure. Okay. In your case, I've added a mini rapid fire round. And it's like a little free association mini round because I, you're amazing and you're funny and smart and no pressure because I'm, you know, I'm not really you know, trying to put any on your shoulders to be funny now. Dance for me, Steve. But okay. okay, so I say the name 
You say whatever pops into your mind. Okay. Okay. Ready? Okay. Marsha Blackburn. Uh, PTA. <laughs> okay. Tommy Tuberville. Uh, quitter. Okay. Charlie Kirk. Uh, indictment. Ooh. Okay. I, I mean, of our education system. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mitch McConnell. Turtle. Okay, perfect. Okay, thank you for answering those questions. That was amazing. Now we're just going to get into the quick random questions, random questions round, not the mini round. This is the main okay. main round. Okay. You recently got engaged, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very, very, very happy for you. Like, seriously, so happy for you. But my question is, why did you propose in a Taco Bell? Okay, so uh, the original proposal plan was supposed to be uh, she was unable to get Taylor Swift tickets. She's a big Taylor Swift fan. And she was unable to get Taylor Swift tickets because she's not a ticket broker. So uh, when the outcry was so much that Ticketmaster actually pulled some of the tickets away from StubHub, which they own, um, and put them back on the market, she was able to get tickets. Now, the problem for me was that my plan to propose was I was going to get tickets on the secondary market and surprise her with them and propose that morning on the back of the tickets. Um, when she told me so excitedly, like, oh, we did, you know, we got tickets and I wasn't thrilled. I like paused. She was like, what? And I confessed. I was like, that was my plan for the proposal. She knew I was going to propose. I actually happen to think that a proposal should never be a complete surprise hmm. um, because both people should be interested in that happening. Um, so uh, she jokingly was like, well, now you got to find a better way. Uh, she is, she enjoys Taco Bell a great deal. It's like her, you know, kind of go-to comfort food. And so I decided, well, could I do something? I'm like, I can't do something with Taylor Swift now because nothing's going to beat the concert. So can I rent a Taco Bell? And I looked it up and there was nothing online about it. And so then I called a couple of random Taco Bells and the manager of the one closest to us just went, yeah, I love love. That's great. And without even charging anything, she was like, oh, yeah, I'll shut it down. I was like, I don't have to pay you anything or I don't have to do it. She goes, yeah, buy some food for your friends when they're there. And, you know, because I told her I was going to have a bunch of people come and be there as well. And they just closed the restaurant and restaurant. That's a weird word for that. They closed the main <laughs> room. I almost said dining room. Also dining, not the right word. They closed the food hole and uh, and they left the drive through open so that if anybody came up and it was also – I think it was like a, a 11 a.m. on a Saturday. So, uh, you know, it's not a super busy time for them. Not a lot of people um, running for the border at that time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the lunch rush for them is 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, they directed people to the drive-thru and, you know, they gave us the place for – they gave us the place for an hour. But after about, you know, 20 minutes or so, we're like, you can open the door. We're, we're, we're okay here, you know. And so that's why I, I did it. I Mexi Melt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wanted it to be something unique and something that would make her laugh. And my opinion is a proposal is about the person you are proposing to, not the person who is proposing. And that's regardless of gender. Um, it is the it is the person being asked. That is the that is the person you're doing it for. And so you make it about them. 
I love that. I love love too. I'm a little bitter and jaded. It's fine, but no, I'm not really. It's fine. Actually, I'm not at all bitter and jaded, but I love that story. You can see, you can see video of that exact moment on, on Facebook and YouTube, I think. Is that where? I, I think it's on both of those at least. Yeah, we, we posted the video. The cameras being there is actually what made her know it was happening because it wasn't just cameras. It was my cameras. <laughs> so like she knows my cameras because yeah, I yeah. set them up for shows every day. So. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so she that's was, that's she was still that's so how cute. she figured it out. Yeah, and jumping up and down, adorably excited, and I get like I just I'm so giddy with excitement and happiness for you guys. Um, so Thank you. that's amazing. And um, second question: Why do you brush your teeth like a sociopath? Okay, so this is something. Uh, so Savannah, that's my fiance. So Savannah and I have a podcast called Judgy Two Shoes, and this <laughs> came up on the podcast uh, where I brush my teeth without water. Now, I don't mean I don't use water afterward. I mean, I don't wet the brush. I just put the toothpaste on the brush and I brush. Now, I think part of that is unadulterated, unadulterated laziness. And I also think that, you know, part of it is just I'm an efficient person. If I can cut something out of a process, I do. I don't find the water to do anything. <laughs> um, I already have saliva in my mouth uh, because I'm a, a, a person. <laughs> And so I just brush with that and I've never had an issue with it. I've never, and look, maybe I don't know what I'm missing. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll wet the brush and I'll just be like, son of a bitch, this is amazing. Life changing. But yeah, probably it'll be about the same. So you don't think you'll end up like putting water on everything in your life to just see if it's better that way? Like, yeah, exactly. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to get, I'm going to get to my car and just water down the steering wheel. Um, it's, yeah, it's just something I do. And, and this is the, this is the crazy thing that like we really didn't get into on the podcast, but when I used to shave with a straight razor, now I'm, I always leave stubble, but back in the day when I used to want like a clean shave and I would shave with a straight razor, um, I did it without shaving cream, which that some people think are like, how did you survive? And like, look, it hurt a little. And, and I couldn't do that if it was long. Like if I had let it grow, like if it was this length, I couldn't do that. But if it was just a little bit of stubble. Just shaving it right off gave me a closer shave, and it was way quicker. And also, I was a broke comic, and I couldn't afford things. And so cutting out a couple of bucks a month did make a difference. And so that's what I did. And so I just, I don't know, it's efficiency. Yeah. It's a little sociopathy, but it's fine. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to pretend it's not sociopathic, <laughs> but also, look, it gets the job done. But I love the exploration of your relationship, and you're like, wait, whoa, hold on. I don't know if this is this a red line. This feels like it could be a red line. Like, yeah. it's uh... my favorite thing about the podcast is that every episode people think that we're breaking up because <laughs> just because we disagree about something. And I think it is the opposite. If a couple can disagree like in a healthy way about something that's what makes a couple last it's the people who are pretending to be something they're not sweeping something under the rug or letting something fester until you blow up that's when that's when it's over but for us it's you know the ability to go yeah we do things differently sometimes and that's okay you're not going to be exactly the same and it's fine yeah because if you were then you'd be wanting to like F yourself, you know, so like, yeah, that'd be, that that'd be weird, which again, Joe Rogan, but uh, last question is in the random round. Um, <laughs> Cause this is part of what I think about every day. So um, if you eat peanut butter, do you eat peanut butter? Occasionally. Oh, so you don't have a real strong emotion, uh, emotional connection to peanut butter, but I was going to ask you if you did what your preference is, chunky or creamy. Cause this tells a lot about a person in my mind as well. 
So I used to be I used to be a creamy peanut butter person. And I also used to be, but also I would prefer orange juice without pulp. I would like for me it was like very like no texture things at all. I was trying to and then I realized like, oh, that's where the taste is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's where the actual taste is. And so <laughs> when I do have peanut butter, I very much prefer chunky these days. Me too. Hallelujah. And it's, it's, I like it on a spoon really most of the time, but uh, on a banana, which sounds vaguely sexual, but um, yeah. It's, it's also partly of, you know, growing up with no money, like some of the things that I would prefer would be worse things because that's just what I was used to. Mm -hmm. And so like creamy was sometimes cheaper, which is why we'd have it growing up. And, you know, the same way that, like, I used to love canned mushrooms. Like, canned mushrooms were, like, my favorite thing. And then I actually started having fresh mushrooms, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, you know, you grow up with those. We talked on the on the, the most recent episode of the podcast about poor habits, like the stuff that stays with you no matter, like, no matter how life goes for you. The stuff that if you grew up poor, there's stuff you still do. And, you know, for me, sometimes it's it's foods. It's taken me a while to, like – shake off you know what what uh you know even something like i thought uh like i thought like shitty like three dollar a roll sushi was like high end <laughs> you know like if that was the good stuff yeah. and like then i actually tasted a an actual piece of a real fish and i was like oh this is i see I, <laughs> I understand you don't yeah. get it at the gas station but I, I i i get what you're saying about the whole like these old habits that hold over like i didn't my dad took care of us all by himself and he wasn't certainly rich but he had this thing about wasting food and like it, it, it was really 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 important to him that we didn't waste any food which ended up leading to some food problems for me because i either like felt like i had to eat everything on my plate no matter what or and I obsess over like not wasting any food since so the kids have leftover food I'll end up eating that and, and that's not none of that is good but that's a holdover for sure from my dad's I wouldn't say damage because he was a great dad but still I totally hear you on those old habits yeah those those like they learn them from their grandparents and the depression habits like that <laughs> kind of stuff yeah yeah and I, and I actually like canned mushrooms to this day, which is weird. I don't eat them all the time, but every now and then they have the lesser ones that are mixed with peas. And it's like, damn, I like that. But that's weird. And I confess that. And I'm really probably going to get some shit for it. So anyway, on that note, um, that ends the rapid fire round. So just tell us what you're up to, what you've got going on, where people can find you, all that good stuff. Um, so I'm I'm touring always. Uh, Stevehoffsetter.com. Um, I have a big tour of uh, of the Northeast and, and the Midwest and uh, a bunch of Eastern Canada as well. Um, and then I have a big uh, Australia, New Zealand tour coming up. Um, the biggest two things are the new podcasts. So like I said before, Judgy Two Shoes. It's on all it. podcasting platforms. But also um, I wrote a kid's book. Uh, it is called Grape Expectations. It is about a, a, a little grape who wants to be a dancer. And... It's uh, it's a bit progressive, and so I I actually launched a program where so the book normally costs twenty bucks, but if you want to buy it for a school or library anywhere, it's only five, and if you want to buy it for a school or library in a red state, it's only three. Just covers the cost of printing. That's it. So it's printing and shipping, and we'll send it off, and you don't have to pick a school. You can do it. it it's all anonymous. Uh, you know, one person said, uh, send 10 to South Carolina. And I was like, done. So uh, that is all on my website. If you want to check it out, stevehoffsetter.com. And uh, 
let's uh let's let's get subversive I want to link up with you after we're done here about uh, that book and maybe doing a reading because Red, Wine, and Blue is a big group that I work with. It's an amazing organization that one of their states is Pennsylvania and banned books are a huge, huge thing for us, an issue that we we are very passionate about. And I have a feeling your book will get banned if it is as progressive as you say. Looking forward Um, to it. Yeah, so we can we'll talk about that later. But that is awesome. I had I don't know why I had no idea. Did I have no idea? That's amazing. I have chills. I, it, it just I just released it two weeks ago. All right. Yeah, uh, we got to hook up about this because that is very cool. And we have bookmobiles at Red Wine and Blue and all sorts of cool stuff because it's like this is crazy what's going on with books. But on that note, thank you so much. I'm sorry I always take too long on these things, but I I am so grateful for your generosity of time and for your generosity of spirit and just for the incredible human being that you are and the energy you put out in the world. Well, I appreciate you saying all those things. And, you know, honestly, I am it, – it's not a word I throw around a lot because it, it almost seems, like, demeaning, but I'm so proud of you. Like, seeing where – you know, when we met, you had about 100,000 followers on Twitter, and now you're an empire. And, <laughs> you know, seeing you go from someone who had imposter syndrome and who was afraid to quit their job and do this full-time – to you know getting regular invites to the white house i mean it's 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 wonderful to see the good people win well it took uh, a lot of really good people to help me out along the way and you were lead among them and are still so i appreciate that and thank you and i'm so happy i can't wait to go to your wedding because i got the thing the thing that says the save the date is coming and i'm very excited unless you have it in like thailand in which case uh probably not no it's gonna be in pennsylvania okay sweet yeah um and uh yeah so uh thank you again so much well definitely i want to talk about the book thing but thanks steve bye okay bye (laughs) thanks for joining me and if you are listening to the are you effing kidding me podcast make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review and if you're watching on youtube please like and subscribe below Are You Effing Kidding Me? is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com.